You may be seated. Let's pray together before we open up the word of our living God. Lord, thank you so much for your word and how it penetrates the heart. And Lord, I pray that it would do that this morning, that it would divide bone and it would divide marrow, soul and spirit. God, that you would speak directly to each heart that's here. God, you know every circumstance, every situation, every burden, every fear, and every celebration. And Lord, I pray that we leave here this morning surrendering all of that. Surrendering it all to you, God. Knowing that you're a God that loves and a God that provides. And a God of great mercy. And Lord, we want to worship you in this very moment as we read your word, Lord. That you would teach us that the word would read us and expose blind spots. And at the same time, God, encourage us as we walk with you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen. Well, good morning. We are uh, in Genesis 22 this morning, and uh, before we jump in there, I just want to kind of start off with a, a small story. When I was, uh, when Lauren and I were dating, it's been almost 10 years, we've almost been married for 10 years, which is exciting, and while we were dating, we talked about having kids and what that would be like to have kids, and we wanted to have children, um, and then we also wanted, if the Lord decided that we weren't able to have or bear our own children, that we may even adopt. And we didn't know what that would look like. And we'd cross that bridge if we were to get to that. But the heart behind wanting to have a family and be married was that God would be glorified. And that we'd have an opportunity to raise these young children to be, to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And the whole heart behind wanting to have a family would be that it's based off of God being glorified and that we would surrender everything to Him. And He would teach us how to be parents and make disciples of these, these little kids. Now, we didn't know what we were doing, didn't know what we were getting into. We realized it's a lot harder than uh, we anticipated. But every day we're fighting in and out to, to do that and to honor God in our, our marriage. Have you ever had one of those times in, put in those situations where you had no control of the outcome? No control of the situation. But when we had our first baby, Chloe, uh, we found ourselves in that situation. Healthy pregnancy, pregnancy, made it to the hospital on time, labor's going well, we're all laid up, we're taking naps, and waiting for, uh, you know, Chloe to come. And I wake up and I hear a, uh, an alarm beeping on these monitors that were connected to, to Lauren, and I thought, well, that wasn't beeping, and now it's beeping, maybe somebody should be in here checking on this thing. And so, didn't want to be one of those weird dads, like first, you know, freaking out too much, but I thought I'd grab a nurse. So I went and grabbed a nurse and said, hey, this wasn't beeping, and now it's beeping. And the next thing I know, there are nurses running in and out of our room saying things like stat. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? And this very, very scary moment, even one of the nurses, as she was rolling, rushing Lauren out the door, I hear her say, we're losing the baby. Not great bedside manner, okay? Informative, right? But not great bedside manner. And as I looked at Lauren and she's looking, reaching back for me as they're rolling her out, I realized at that very moment there's nothing that I can do. And we just had to trust. And we had to, as she went up, and it was the longest 90 seconds of my life. I'm trying to get to my wife and my baby, and they're not letting me because I'm not sanitary. They want me to put on this blue costume before I can go into the, the clean room. And 60 seconds in, a nurse comes to me as I'm suited up and I'm running out the door and says, baby is stable. Okay. But we're now we're trying to stabilize your wife. Wait, what? 
And so within just that 60 seconds, this roller coaster of emotions of being not able to control anything and realizing that, hey, this lady said we're losing the baby. Now the baby's stable, but now my wife is not stable and very afraid. And I'm stuck in a room with not stuck, but in a room with my mom and mother-in-law. And I don't know what to do. I can't lift a finger. I can't solve this problem. I can't fix anything. And I'm reminded of our time when we were in premarital counseling, thinking that this marriage is going to be based off of something that's going to be bigger than us. That God has made us a promise in this covenant that we would honor Him and we would surrender all to Him and we would trust Him no matter what. And so I started praying. God, thank You for stabilizing my daughter. Please, Lord, stabilize my wife. I surrender her. I surrender Chloe to You. And we just want to find ourselves in, lost in, in worship. And I'm so thankful that God reminded me of that and taught me that lesson early on. I'm sorry, Lauren, she's, all, she's a mess up here. But I'm so thankful that God taught us that lesson early. And as we look at the text today, we're going to study Abraham where he has learned in his life, 100 plus years, that he has to surrender all and wait for God to provide. That's where we all, when we leave here today, we all have to come to that conclusion that we have to learn to surrender all and know that God is a God that provides for those that love Him and that are faithful and that want to worship Him. Uh, A couple things, caveats to this story is that this is the first time you've heard this story. Um, Remember, it's a test. He says it immediately right up the front. The writer says, this is a test. It's only a test. Okay? It's a test that we would read this and, as readers and we would cross-examine our own heart. We'd look at it and say, all right, where am I being tested in my life to where I need to surrender all and wait for God to provide? Second is that this is, a, this is not a story of pretend or fiction. This happened. This is a real story where God called Abraham to take his son and offer him as a burnt offering. But this story is unique to Genesis 22. Hear that. This story is unique to this time because Jesus came to fulfill that. So God will never speak to any of us and say, go and kill your son. It's unique to this moment in life and this moment in time to teach us what it looks like to have radical surrender to a radical God that he gives us that he would give us radical faith. Okay, so that's just kind of some caveats there as we jump into the text. All right, so let's look at the text. First, uh, first verse, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the mount, to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham has already heard God's voice. He knows the voice of the Lord. So when God speaks to Abraham, he recognizes, oh, this is God. He's already spoken to me before, and he's continuing to speak to me, and he's giving me instruction. And he identifies what the instruction is is in this only son. He reminds me, emphasizes the point, this is your only son. I know that you had a son with Hagar, Ishmael, but that is not your son. This is your only son, the one that I promised you, between you and Sarah. And so he's reminding Abraham, of the importance of this is the one 
that I have chosen. This is the one I promised you. This is the one I have given you. And this is your only son. And he says, I want you to take this only son and, and take it and offer him as a burnt offering. And in this context, in this time, this isn't a live burning of a body. This is a sacrifice of an animal. And what that would look like is fairly gruesome. You would slit their throat and you'd let them bleed out. And then you'd quarter their body and you'd burnt the, burn the pieces. It's pretty graphic. It's pretty real. What God is asking Abraham to do to his son. And then on top of that, he says, I'm going to give you a specific place to take him. All right. Only God would know that Jerusalem would be there. Only God would know that he would choose the mountain where Jerusalem would be raised and built around the same mountain that one day he would bring his son. One thing that Abraham could have done, I think that a lot of us would have done, is that we would have looked at that reflection or that command of God and say, wait a second, let me interpret what you're trying to say here. Right? Okay, this is a test. All right, I love my son so much, I won't kill him. I passed the test, right? We have that ability, as sinful people, to hear what God is saying, even taking God's word out of context, and we try to mix it up. Twist it, interpret it for our benefit or for something that we don't necessarily always want to do. In this situation here, this is a literal call. Something in the New Testament we can kind of run parallel is think about the rich young ruler. Right? He says, hey, I've done all these commandments. I've done everything you've asked. And Jesus says, all right, you have. Now take all that you have and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And the rich young ruler walks away dismayed because Jesus knew his heart and he knew the one thing that he was holding in higher value than following Jesus Christ. And that was his possessions. That's exactly what Abraham's seeing here. And that was literal. Sell your possessions, give it to the poor and follow me. And this is literal. Abraham, take your son to this mountain that I'm going to tell you about and offer him up as a burnt offering. Because this is the one thing that potentially Abraham and Sarah could put in front of God and hold more value than following or having a relationship with God. Is their son. Their one and only son. So look around and we see how Abraham actually responds. So, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut wood and burnt the, uh, for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. He didn't skip a beat. He woke up early the next morning. He gets straight to work. He hears the command. He sleeps on it. He wakes up the next morning and he goes straight to work. He realizes that God's will at this point in his life, God's will is so much more important than his own will. Now, he's 100 plus years old. It took him a long time to get to that point. There wasn't times where he was like, his will is more important. Ishmael is a great example of that. But at this point in his life, he gets straight to work and he is trusting and having complete faith that God is going to give him the next steps. No father in this world, I think, would hear this and be like, let's go chop the wood, let's get it ready. Now, I'm not, I, I, I don't know what kind of attitude, we don't know what kind of attitude Abraham had. Abraham had. All we know is that he went straight to work. He started walking towards God, not running from God. God made a promise, right? And so think about that for us. God makes this promise. I'll be with you and I will not leave you or forsake you. But when we feel abandoned, 
Does that mean that God has broke that promise? When we feel abandoned, does that mean that God has now forsaken us? Think about the, there's 30 different references of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit will be when God sends the Holy Spirit to be with us. A guide, a power, a rescue, a comforter, a helper, a peace, a rest. When we don't feel, feel those things, is God now a liar? No. When sin entered the world in Genesis 3.15, the death came rolling in right behind it. That was the promise. If you eat from that tree and you don't listen to this command, the death is what's next. And now death is promised to all of us. And sin entered because Abraham, I mean, because Adam and Eve decided that God's word and command wasn't good enough. They'd listen to a snake over God. And they take that death all the way to the cross where Jesus and then where Jesus puts death in the grave. But all the way up to that point, we are constantly fighting against the way we feel. Sarah, just last week when JP talked about that, Sarah was feeling useless. Her feelings were saying, I'm too old for this. But doesn't God come and speak truth? The bigger and better purpose of her life. God comes in and speaks truth to her. He gives her worth. And so look at Abraham. And on the third day, as they're they're going, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place from from, uh, afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy are going to go over here and worship and come again to you. So Abraham's been on a three-day journey. He's mulled over what God has given him to do, this task of offering up his son. And after three days of walking to where he finally comes to the mount that God has identified as the place that you will have this burnt offering, in his heart, he recognizes that this is the time of worship. Not running away of worship. Not, hey, I, I, got, I got a couple of hours before I can really fix this thing and I can come up with a better plan than God. No. It's worship. And he looks at the guys and he says, me and the boy, we're going to go over here and we're going to worship. And with the same confidence he says that, he says, and we will return. The great faith of Abraham to look at that situation and say, God is going to provide. I surrender my son. I don't know what's going to happen, but I have faith that God will fulfill his promise. It's a great opportunity for us to pause and take a look at the bigger picture that we are all called to, right? Love God. Have faith in God. Follow God. Obey God. Because for those who believe, we know that He's faithful. We know that He loves us. We know that He's going to lead us. We know that He's going to teach us. But so often we are quick to forget those truths. And so Abraham is just so encouraging here as he marches towards the mountain to go and to worship. God is teaching Abraham and he's teaching us through this passage is that can you find and can you worship the Lord in the midst of the things that you don't understand? In the midst of the things that may be a burden to you, in the midst of the things that you're very afraid of, can we come to the point of worshiping God when we don't know the plan? And we don't know what God is doing. And so we look and we see in verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. 
And he took his hand in his hand fire and the knife. So they went both of them to, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Abraham's faith is not in himself at this point. Knowing what is supposed to happen, knowing what is going on, he is continuing to trust God. And so he grabs the most dangerous of the things that he's brought, the fire, the wood, the knife, and they start marching up the hill. I think in your bulletin, there's a Spurgeon quote, and Spurgeon says, Abraham took the knife up the hill. He didn't forget it. That knife was cutting into his own heart all the while, yet he took it. Unbelief would have left the knife at home, but genuine faith takes it. I want you to notice, like, kind of a bigger picture of what's going on here. As the writer's writing, he's slowing things down. Right? We got Abraham, we got the call, we got an overnight sleep, we got, hey, we're getting ready for this journey. He grabs the guys, they started the journey three days later. They come to a mountain. He says something to the guys. And then they start walking up this hill. And now we're in like slow motion. He's grabbing the knife. He's grabbing the fire. He's putting the wood on his son. And it's like slow motion as they're walking up the hill. When things slow down in a text like this, it's because it's the emphasis of the point. And they have this dialogue. And it's one of the first dialogues that we, we, really, we see between Abraham and Isaac. This conversation, my father. He addresses them with this intimacy, my father. Here am I, my son. I'm right here with you. We're walking together. And the question, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? God will provide. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham's faith is in God. Abraham's faith is in knowing that God has made a promise, but it's not even in the promise because he, didn't know how, he doesn't know how the promise is going to be satisfied or fulfilled. Abraham's faith is in God. We sometimes get caught up in trying to figure out, oh, the promise. This is how it's going to pan out. Instead of just focusing and worshiping God as the promiser. We so often want to try to problem solve and fix but Isaac refuses to stop trusting, even though he doesn't know what's going to happen next. He's walking along. And he's like, I, I don't know. I don't know where the lamb is. He could look at Isaac and be like, you're the lamb, I guess. I don't know. But he has this faith that God is going to fulfill the promise that he's made. The promise that he's made through scripture in Genesis where he told him like, hey, there, your seed is going to heir, be the heir of kings. There's going to be a blessing of all nations that's going to come through your seed. Isaac doesn't have any children. It's just Isaac. We read in Hebrews 11, 17 through 20, the faith that's exposed there. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. They're going up the hill. He, 
bounds. He builds an altar. He lays the wood down. He bounds Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. Even to this point, it's great faith. Even to this point, he's still trusting in the Lord. You're going to provide. I know you're going to provide. Even if I slaughter him, quarter him, and burn him, you'll raise him. You'll raise him up. Because you promised. You promised me, God. And I'm trusting in you. I'm not trusting in the promise. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm trusting in you. I surrender all to you, and I know that you're a God that's going to provide. Raising someone from the dead in this time was absurd. Like, that, 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 didn't, that didn't exist. You would have had to really think about all the different options of how God's going to do this to come up with the thought that, well, I guess you're just going to raise him from the dead after his ashes. He is having complete and utter faith. He already recognizes that Isaac was raised from the dead. From a barren wound, he was born. His, his ability to be is because God made him be. God brought him into this world. It's been God's the whole time. Isaac is God's. Sitting in that hospital bed, in that hospital room that, that morning, that was the same conclusion I came to, is that I... I God, Lauren's been yours the whole time. Chloe's been yours the whole time. I don't know why I'm not trusting you right now. I want to have faith that you are in control of my family. You promised. That, and we promised we'd worship you. And if this is what worship looks like, I've never worshipped like this before, but if this is what it looks like, I want to worship like that. If this is what worship is supposed to look like, I pray that our hearts would want to worship this way. He calls he call, he's called to go and burn his son. And he calls it worship. If that's what worship is, then we're missing out on something. And that we would examine our own hearts and say, God, where am I not surrendering all to you? Where am I not trusting that you're going to provide? In the moments that I feel like I can't do anything. I just want to surrender I want to surrender to you and know that you're a God that will provide. With knife in air, he hears a voice. Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I, now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your, your son, your only son from me. He hears the voice from the Lord, and there couldn't have been a more beautiful sound to Abraham and to Isaac. Now, Abraham and Isaac, their relationship is probably going to be taxed. I'm not sure what you do after that kind of moment. But Abraham and his relationship with God is going to be changed forever. Isaac and his relationship with God will be changed forever. Through radical faith, Abraham laid his son on that table. Isaac's faster, stronger, more agile. But because of his father's faith and consent, he lays there on the altar, knowing that God will provide. And this angel shows up and says, stop. Don't lay a hand on the boy. And Abraham lifts his eyes up and he looks and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. 
And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Imagine the thankfulness of hearing the voice of the angel and hearing the sound of the ram. Not only did God save Isaac, but he provided a ram. This whole story, Isaac, the entire life, is pointing towards Jesus. He is a type of Jesus. And there's 12, there's probably more, but I found 12 I just want to share with you of these parallels of Jesus and Isaac. Both, and I can have the scripture references if you want those later. I want to read these 12 to you. Both Isaac and Christ were children of promise. The birth of both was pre-announced. Both were named before the, their birth. The birth of both was, was the birth of both them was from Sarah was barren and Mary a virgin. Both are called an only son. Both mocked and persecuted by their own family. As Isaac carried the wood on which he would die, so Christ would carry his cross. Isaac went willingly to the altar, so Christ went willingly to the cross. Both given up and forsaken by his father. Both rose from a place of death and resurrection. And in both cases, God stepped in. Abraham didn't know how God was going to provide. But God stopped him and God provided the ram. This is the faith God is calling us to. Is to surrender all and wait for him to provide. Is to surrender all and wait for God to provide. Now in today's context, it's a little bit different, right? Abraham heard the audible voice of God. We have God's word. We have the voice of the Lord that speaks to us. Okay? But because we're sinful, we easily misinterpret this. And so when you read God's word and it is calling you to something, you need to pray. You need to spend time examining your heart and asking God to expose truths and blind spots, allowing God's word to read your heart. And then you also need to go to other brothers and sisters that love Christ and have and want the best interest of you in the through the blood of Christ and sit down with them and say, here, this is what I'm going through. Here's where this is what it looks like. Walk with me through this. Pray with me through this. Give me wisdom. Give me insight. And fourth, we need to be proactive. We need to be obedient, moving in that direction. Abraham didn't stay at home and wait. He started moving towards God. He started moving in that direction. In faith, I'm walking, and God wants to shut this baby down anytime he can, but I'm going to continue to walk and know that God's going to provide. Because that is the promise that he's given us. And then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven. He said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. He takes Abraham all the way back to chapter 15, where he's about to, to put... Uh, Abraham's divided all the animals and he puts Abraham into a deep sleep and he passes through the covenant to make the covenant because Abraham would fail the covenant. God will not fail the covenant. 
And he reminds him of the words that he says to him in Genesis 15. He says, this man shall not be your heir. Talking about his head servant. But your very own son shall be the heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and, and the number and number the stars. And if you are able to number them, then the Lord said to him, you shall. So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. He believed the Lord at that moment and counted it to him as righteousness. This is the call for all of us. That we would surrender. We would surrender all. And we wait for God to provide. God did not hold back an ounce. He provided the ram. And he says, and he points towards thousands of years later, and he says, I'm going to provide a spotless lamb for you. The better, the more holy, the perfect lamb in my son, Jesus Christ. God knew exactly what it would take to lay down His one and only Son for us. And so, it becomes a substitute. God did not hold back an ounce of His wrath for His Son. And Jesus didn't hold back an ounce of Himself. He gave all of Himself so that we could be fully forgiven, fully free to worship and know that God is in control of all of this. Jesus is the substitute. He's the sacrifice. He's the spotless lamb. He is the ram that's in the thicket. He is the one that God will provide. And for us today, as we wrestle and we worry about, consider how do we surrender all? The promise is that God is going to send a rescuer. And he has. And he will send the rescuer and he will provide for us a way out. A way towards redemption so that God will come and redeem the sinful nature of who we are. And that's the beauty of this story. Is that it's not about Abraham. It's not about Isaac. It's about Jesus. It's about exposing the truth from the beginning of creation to the end. That God is going to provide a way for us to worship Him. And He has in His Son, Jesus. And that's the challenge, that's the call for all of us. As we look at our life, the struggles that are in front of us, the burdens that are there. How can I find a place to worship God? By surrendering all. Lord, you increase my faith. Our faith is increased when we're tested. When we're tested, that's when our faith is increased. Romans 12 tells us that God is the one that provides the amount of faith that we'll need. God's the provider of that faith as well. It's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about our actions. It's all about God. As we prepare our hearts for communion today. I want you to think through the, examine your heart, prepare your heart for such a time as coming to the Lord's table and celebrating this truth that God will always provide for those who love and follow and have faith in Him. Pray with me. God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the story, this beautiful story that highlights who You are as our Savior, as the one that comes to rescue us as our refuge, as our king, as the final sacrifice, the spotless lamb, the rescuer, the one that offers rest, the one that offers peace. God, the one that we can come to and worship in the midst of what we feel is awful. God, that we wouldn't trust our feelings, but God, we would trust that you are sovereign and you care for us. 
and you're in control. Not a moment slips by in time that you don't know what's happening. And you're not actively caring for those that believe. God, I pray you'd increase our faith today through this story that we leave here. Changed people. Changed to, to have greater faith in you. To want to follow you. To be able to surrender all and know that you are a God that will always provide. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen.